know, how can we create online programs that maybe aren't for full degrees, but they're still uh, skills-based, potentially certifications that have the branding that are recognized by employers. There needs to be a shift on the employer side to accept these new types of trainings. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, UpWest, and Hippo Insurance. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 264. Our guest is Tass Manning, principal at GSV Ventures, an early-stage venture fund focused on education technology. Tess spent time at Pluralsight on their strategy team, was a top sales executive at Andela, startup transforming talent across Africa, and the head of talent at TimeHop. Tess holds an MBA from Stanford and a BA in international relations and economics from New York University. Tess was a teaching assistant at Stanford GSB for diverse leadership and education. She serves on the advisory board for Girl Develop It, a nonprofit providing software engineering courses for adult women. Tess Manning, thank you so much for joining me on 20 Minute Leaders. Good morning to you. Good evening to me. How are you? Thanks, Michael. Doing well. Great to be here. Appreciate the invitation. Uh, I'm very, very happy that you're here because we're going to talk about one of my favorite uh, markets and industries that unfortunately I don't know nearly enough as much as I should, which is the education space. And you have a really fascinating trajectory uh, all the way from, from working at a company like Pluralsight, which, which, which I have used and many of my friends use, all the way to now being a principal at the GSV Ventures um, and, and really focusing on the education sector uh, more deeply. But in between, there were some other really incredible things like doing an MBA at Stanford, helping teach classes at Stanford. Uh, and we have to get started with your fun fact, which is the fact that, you know, you're a dancer at heart and, and you actually taught some hip hop and, and dance to some uh, people at, at Stanford and in the VC space. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, so while I was at GSB, I was teaching a what turned into a weekly hip hop dance class with one of my classmates to all of our classmates starting our first year. We have an end of the year um, musical that is essentially a parody <laughs> of the GSB. And we roped in a lot of people to perform that year. A lot of um, women and men who had never danced before found out they had a love and passion for dance in their late 20s, early 30s. Was, I was really inspired by that. And so uh, my, my classmate and I started actually teaching around the Bay and I think my favorite, favorite, uh, story is that Heidi Royzen at Threshold Ventures came to class, found out what we were doing, and she organized a group of women and a few men, and we taught them a full three minute dance over the course of eight weeks and had a final performance at the Threshold office, which was incredible. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So Tess, walk me a little bit through your journey. Uh, why education? Why Stanford MBA? What, what's going on over there? Yes, it's been an interesting journey. So I, I started uh, my startup journey in New York. I had worked at a number of startups over the course of seven years before moving to um, out to the West Coast for GSB. Uh, the first startup I actually worked at was during college. Uh, I was 
an intern at one of the first companies that was part of the first cohort of tech stars in New York. And they were an education technology company. And this was back in 2011. And their vision was to democratize, you know, access to knowledge on the web and to help people learn, adult learners, um, learn new topics in a fun way. That, that really resonated with me because I was really passionate about, um, economic development and helping uh, people all over the world find opportunities, which I think a lot of people, you know, have a similar mission when they're in college. Um, but this really felt like a viable way to do that. So I was really excited about the power of technology um, and, and spreading education. Had a few different companies that I worked at before coming back full circle to EdTech. Um, had worked at two other startups in New York that were both fast growth, learned um, kind of the ins and outs of lots of different functions from um, sales and account management to product, people operations and recruiting, really the full gamut aside from actually programming and, and designing and, uh, and fell in love with working with early stage startups. So right before I came to the GSB, I worked at a startup called Indella, which at the time was a tiny talent accelerator focused on high potential young people in Nigeria. And we were giving them six wow. months of full stack training for free and then helping place them with, with long-term roles as distributed engineers. Really inspiring, life-changing for them, for us, for the teams that they worked with all over the world. Um, really demonstrated the power of diverse teams and and was, was just an incredible win-win all around and, and commercially viable as well. So that startup now, you know, they're over 2,000 engineers, they're a Series D wow. company, uh, really incredible. And so I was excited about that, that business model. So coming to the GSB, knew I wanted to stay in ed tech and, and workforce development Spent my summer at Pluralsight uh, right after they had IPO'd. And then um, coming out of the GSB, you know, had to make that decision of going back to an early stage company or, you know, as fate would have it, um, found out that GSV Ventures, which is an ed tech venture fund uh, that focuses on early stage founders, was was hiring in, in tandem with growing their, um, their second fund. And so uh, the stars kind of aligned and turns out, uh, and Della and Pluralsight are, were both GSV portfolio companies, <laughs> and it felt like the wow. right next step. So I've been here for about a year now. That that that's remarkable. First of all, you know, it sounds like over over the course of of your of your career, I mean, it's it's a phenomenal career, and you're so young already, so, so it's, it's hugely impressive. But it's but you know, it sounds that like in retrospect, it's pretty easy to draw the dots and to and to see the, this linear career. But but it, was it a linear career? Did you did you imagine when you were in Africa that you're going to be in plural sites to the GSB to GSV? What 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 was going on there? No. Absolutely not. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. When I, when I look at the resumes of all my classmates at the GSB and <laughs> compare them with mine, you know, that so many of them have stories that, you know, they were, they were making, um, kind of, you know, very conscious, calculated decisions every step of the way. <laughs> and then they got to the GSB and were like, Oh my God, what now? Um, so I was, right. I've always been a bit like, Oh my God, what now? Uh, and then once I got to the GSB, I actually had more clarity when I was here on, on, on what I wanted to do. So coming in, I mean, mm. I might have been one of the only people that stuck to what I wrote in my essay. You know, I wrote that I wanted to help education technology companies um, find viable business models because it, historically it's been very difficult, right? And, right? and you can even see that on the funding landscape, on the number of public companies in ed tech, um, the number of growth companies. And that's all changing, especially this year, right? Which is great. 
Um, but at the time, you know, that was something I really wanted to focus on and what I did coming at the other end. But getting there, yes, like crazy journey, worked at a marketing software startup, worked at TimeHop, the, uh, the social media nostalgia app, worked like, you know, all, all over the place, really, in all kinds of functions. Um, but, you know, I think every step along the way, I knew it, it deepened my uh, knowledge that I wanted to remain in, in tech. Um, I, I loved working closely with with engineers and building products um, and with early stage founders. So, you know, it was really con- concrete in that um, in that area. And then as time went on, realized that I was most inspired by working at a company with a strong mission. Um, and so, so the decision, for instance, to work at Pluralsight was part of that. You know, I, I wanted to right. become more of a sector expert. I wanted to understand what it was like at a later stage company in the tech sector, um, and, and how the uh, how the businesses differ there. So, sort of, you know, long, longer than that, but that, that's a little the gist of it in a way. I have to learn a little bit about the the education sector in order to really grasp what you're doing at the GSV and. and what your where your passion lies because it sounds like you fell in love with ed tech and with finding you know a balance between the right business model to a high impact opportunity to really help people obviously through your experience with africa but but it sounds like it's it's deeper than that talk to me a little bit about this dissonance between finding uh, finding a good business model for a high impact or social good company Sure, sure. So, you know, to, to take a step back, um, looking at this problem through the lens of how we make investments at GSV, you know, first and foremost, we always say that the greatest returns on the fund will come from the companies um, with the greatest impact and return on education, right? And so they're, they're, these are the companies that are going to reach the largest number of learners or they will be lowering the cost of education, right? resulting in right. being able to access more learners. Um, they're having, they're, they have strong efficacy with whatever product or service that they're offering. So improved, um, improved outcomes for education. Um, and so we're looking at companies through those lens when we're making a decision on, you know, whether or not we will invest in them. So what that ends up, uh, you know, when you're like looking at very, very early stage companies and trying to decide what's going to last, what's going to be a sustainable model, what will do all of those things or a combination of them um, is something that, you know, the models have changed a lot in ed tech. So I think in the early days in K-12, there are a lot of companies that were trying to sell directly to schools. You know, fast forward today, you see a lot of different creative models where someone like, um, you know, a class dojo was free for a number of years and, and built up this enormous base of teachers that were absolutely obsessed with their product and it was their, their lifeblood for communication, you know, outside the classroom with parents and students. And then they flipped on monetization last year, you know, um, and then, you know, they're, so that it's more of a direct to consumer model in a way, even though it's in the classroom. Um, and so they don't have to worry about these really long institutional school sales cycles, you know, where there's only a limited number of essentially government dollars that they're fighting over. Um, so companies today in ed tech on K-12 and higher ed, for instance, are trying to come up with more creative models. Um, you know, things like Course, Course Hero, for instance, is a, a Chegg competitor and they are a marketplace of student resources. So once again, you know, going straight to the learner um, versus right. going and creating a, a university partnership. Um, on the enterprise learning side, there's this is something I believed in for a long time, but adult learners 
that cost of learning, yes, there's always going to be an individual cost as, as life goes on. But the reality of today is that we are all going to need to become lifelong learners. You know, whether you understand that now or not, we're going to constantly need new skills. We're going to constantly be changing jobs and probably working longer than any other um, moment in, in history. And so I would like to see, and, and there is a belief and an understanding now that companies should take on a lot of that cost of, of retraining their employees um, over time as well. So there are a lot of business models now focused on on having the the company pay for their employees' education, um, whether that's in-house right. because they're going to stay or like a plural site, for instance, or a Coursera, or it could be someone like Guild Education that's providing, uh, that's paying for their frontline workers to earn college degrees or skill certificates, which is pretty incredible. And those employees they know amazing, will yeah. be leaving. Yeah. So a few, I think that, few you know, I, there. I, I just had a, a fascinating class at, a, at the graduate school of engineering, a product management class where actually we were working with Target and I was the only Stanford student there. We had somebody from Amazon, from Microsoft, from, from Google. And wow. because they were coming in for external training to do to shift their priorities within the company, they, I believe some of them were moving from Amazing. engineering to product management. And all of a sudden, I find myself working with people that are you know, 10, 15 years older. They have all sorts of different experiences and and yes. that combined learning, I, I think obviously I'm I'm getting much more excited and emotional when I think of you know companies that are doing it for the frontline workers to get college degrees and something like that. But 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 it's it look it really looks like the world is changing to what you were saying. What are some bigger problems that that yeah. we are still thinking of today in terms of education? Whether it's accessibility, it's you know information dissemination. What what are some of those big picture things that we still haven't figured out? Yeah, great question. Also love that. Love that story. Um, I think that the, the, another thing just as a quick aside that I think will be huge is how do we, uh, bring together learners of different ages? And <laughs> when you think about adult learning, like age has been such a construct in the past and really like a, a lot of companies are experimenting with, um, adult learning by creating cohorts of different age learners. So I love that idea. Um, so, so, so the, Sorry, I just lost track of the, the bigger, the bigger. <laughs> now I was getting excited by what you're saying. The bigger question, other things. Yes, I'm like I could go off on so many tangents. It's because you're so passionate yeah. about these ideas, <laughs> or just you know rambling on. Um, so the so a couple of things. So I mean, when you look at the U.S., for instance, you know our levels of um, literacy and numeracy for college graduates have not been improving over the last like 25 years. The, really? the actual graduation levels have been improving, right? And so there's been a huge focus in the U.S. Um, over the past few, let's say, you know, presidencies to increase graduation rates. We're now about an 88% national level. But there are, you know, the, the actual outcomes of a college or a high school education are not there. So, you know, when you're thinking about what problems need to be solved, that's an enormous one is, is the actual, um, you know, efficacy of education and outcomes there. And it's really hard to change the curriculum and to change the system. Um, but we're, you know, the U.S.'s education levels are falling behind many other countries in the world. And so if you're thinking about something domestic, like that's definitely a huge issue. And, and then, of course, that problem applies to any 
potentially like emerging country as well, um, where you just have an enormous number of learners. And so you're obviously not going to have the, the right number of teachers um, that are that are able to see drive those outcomes either potentially. So that's a, that's a big one for sure. Um, the other one in higher education, you know, we're going to be over doubling the number of college age students. Uh, in the next 10 to 15 years. And there just aren't enough institutions in the world uh, to, that have the capacity to uh, to educate the number of college-age students. That's an By enormous way, what, problem. Why is that that's happening? Be, uh, the, just the world population growth. You know, there's, there's just going to be uh, an enormous number of, of people of that age level. And, and so in terms of traditional institutions, you know, you can't, you can't spin up a college overnight. Um, you can't, you know, when you think about things like accreditation, which is a huge obstacle in higher ed innovation in the U S. Um, so making sure that students are getting credit for the courses that they're taking, you know, there are a ton of hurdles there. It's an archaic system, um, that's, that stifles a lot of innovation, but then, you know, and then internationally, same issue. So one thing that's, that we need to, to deal with and think ahead for, which, you know, companies like Coursera and others are doing is, you know, how can we create online programs that maybe aren't for full degrees, but they're still, uh, skills-based, potentially certifications that have the branding that are recognized by employers. There needs to be a shift on the employer side to accept these new types of trainings. And we, we need to find a way to educate um, that group of college, you know, traditionally college age learners um, coming down the road. And then the enterprise, I think I mentioned it already, but just thinking about how do you map the skills within your organization, understand the gaps, and then um, help up and up and reskill, which is there's a lot, a lot of like hot conversation around right now. And everyone knows they need to do it. But actually figuring it out is very difficult, especially in roles that aren't, um, you know, that, that have more of an emphasis on soft skills or things that are historically hard to measure. It's, it's tough to, right. to figure out how to handle those. Tess, I have to say that, you know, I, I've done I've done quite a few of these episodes. One of the things that inspires me most uh, across these episodes is when I meet people that are that are just truly passionate and curious about what they're doing, that it's that they're the position they're in. It's not just because it was a cool opportunity and just an, a nice jumpstart, but but really they're following this trajectory of, fo of following their passion, following their curiosity. It's, it's something that I live by uh, and that that I've become more and more inspired through this show that the People that are really making a difference are those that that are truly following their passions, and 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 things don't become easy, but they become doable and they become energized. And uh, and I and I'm, I, I'm learning so much from just from this, you know, short twenty minute conversation. Tell me a little bit about a uh, girl develop it. You're on the you're on the advisory board there. What what are you doing over there, yes. and, and what is sort of their mission? Because it sounds really phenomenal. Yes. Girl Develop It is a nonprofit that's been around for a long time now, you know, almost 10 years, and they've reached over 100,000 adult learners, primarily women. They provide um, free or low-cost introductory-level courses in programming topics, and now have expanded a bit more to things like digital marketing and, and a few others. Um, but it's really incredible. I mean, the goal is to create an environment where adult learners... You know, I, I, it was intended originally for women, but it's really open to anyone can learn in a judgment free space. You know, if they have been stuck in, um, 
you know, maybe just a, a pretty average role for the last 10, 15, 20 years. Maybe they have a degree, maybe they don't. Um, I mean, really, we have learners of all ages. They can come to girl development. They can say, I'm curious about unity development. I'm curious about DevOps. You know, I'm curious about JavaScript. Um, I, 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 maybe I heard about it on a podcast. <laughs> maybe I heard about it, you know, from a friend. Um, but I have no idea where to even start. I'm embarrassed that I don't even know the right questions to ask. Um, and they can come and take a course and then, and then start to, um, create a, a new career trajectory from there. So really incredible. There are volunteer instructors who are, who are also paid, um, to, time for teaching the classes and, um, yeah, it's really just an amazing, amazing nonprofit. And it's really fun story how I got involved. I met an entrepreneur named Brenda Jen in January last year. So we've only known each other for about a year. Um, you know, we, it wasn't the right fit for an investment, but her and I really hit it off and have become kind of thought partners and friends. And so she asked me to get involved this summer and, um, it's been, yeah, it's been a blast. Uh, we had a mini conference. We got, Unity involved to teach a course and sponsor it and Unity's, um, a partner of GSV. So it's just amazing to see how the education ecosystem, you know, everybody really plays together and, and supports one another. Yes, it sounds it sounds phenomenal. Thank you for all the work that you're doing, both with the GSV, but also on these advisory roles and for teaching for teaching dance. I think that's a, I, I'm still I'm still owed to take owed to take the social dance class that I'm supposed to. Uh, one day, hopefully, I'll yes. get to do touch of feely as well at the GSV. But for yes. now, I'll do the social dance yes. class. Tess, three <laughs> words that you would use to Love describe it. yourself, and and thank you for being so generous with your time here. Sure. Um, great question. This is very difficult. Um, so I, I mean, I think the two, the two more obvious ones, if you will, um, I would say, you know, number one, just optimistic. And that's, that's just, you know, for better or for worse, <laughs> part of my DNA. Um, I, you know, yeah. And we're, I think that's anyone that's working in an early stage startup, anyone that's just constantly trying new things, like you, you kind of have to be and you want to see things come to life. And yeah, so that's a big one. Um, and, it, and then I, I hear this one a lot. So I guess I could say it's maybe not self-described, but, um, and, you know, energetic. So really, like I, I tried to, Definitely. to bring energy to everything I do. But it's true. It's something I realized over time and the longer and longer you're in the workforce and then, you know, maybe um, increasingly difficult roles or more responsibility, et cetera. Like the, the energy you put out into the world is, is how you're going to see um, that's going to reflect on others and, and really kind of kind of change the mood of a team you're working on and, and your own self. And so it's something I focus on a lot. Um, and then I guess the last one would be so, maybe somewhere around uh, uh, so it, I used to also teach kids creative movement in shelters in New York for nine years wow. with another nonprofit. So it's dance, but it's more creative movement. And I, I kind of love this idea of it. not just exactly creativity, but somewhere around like creativity, fluidity, where, you know, no matter what's coming at you, you're able to kind of make something out of it, um, feel something from it, adapt, like some, something along the lines of that. Uh, and, and so maybe it's more of a, like a dance move. You're like living with a dance move. Um, some, some concept around there, but 
I, would say I love that. I attribute a, a lot of my optimism and my, you know, my, my the fact, fact, the fact that I'm energized whenever I something changes or whenever, whenever I'm tackling a challenge to the fact that I participated in a lot of high school musicals when I was back in high school. That was uh, yes. that was one of my favorite hobbies <laughs> because it was all about it was all about interchanging ideas and then you know and then the bridge would yes. fall from the stage nobody because somebody pushed it by accident and you have to now respond to it and yes. have fun with it. We <laughs> right. had. Uh, exactly. So I so I, I attribute a lot of that to that. Tess, thank you so so much. This was wonderful. Thank you that. for the inspiration. It was great. Thank you, Michael. That's awesome. And w- one day we'll uh, we'll put together a musical and SF together. One hundred percent.